You are listening to Conversations with Chris Marshall, where I sit down and talk to top real estate investors and professionals who work with investors to find out how to become a top investor. If you are interested in becoming a top real estate investor, then be sure to subscribe to the show and to tune in to new episodes so we can level up and start or scale to success in real estate investing. Welcome to the Top Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Marshall, and I want to thank you for tuning in. On the show today is Edwin Epperson from Blue Bay Capital. We dive in to the Burr Method. What is the Burr Method? Why is it important? Why is it so powerful? And how does the lending actually work on the Burr Method? We also dive in a little bit into setting yourself up for success in this coming market, the different things that are coming, the changes, the the different the new environment that we're finding ourselves in. So you definitely want to kind of stick around, pay attention. There's some great knowledge in here. And uh, yeah, with that, let's just dive into the episode. Dive into today. How are you doing today? Doing well, Chris. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. So we're going to talk about the Burr strategy today. Um, if you've been around real estate investing for a while, you might have heard of it. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot, but I want to get your take on it today. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive in. What is the Burr strategy? Yes. Yeah, so the Burr strategy is the concept of buying a property that needs repairs uh, with the intent that you're going to hold it for long term and rent it out. So there are several phases to the BRRRR strategy, and it's it's basically broken down into the acronym. So the BRRRR is actually an acronym, one letter B, and then four letter R's. And it stands for buy, rehab, let's see, let me make sure I get these right, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. So those, that, and then take the first letter and it spells BRRRR. So the BRRRR strategy is finding those value add properties. You're going to re- renovate them. They're going to place a tenant, bring it up to current market rent values, and then refinance with a what we call a DSCR loan product or you know a 30-year loan product. And then you're going to repeat it again. Yeah. Um, so that's the BRRRR strategy. Yeah. That's awesome. So what is it about, you know, all of that that makes the Burr strategy so powerful? Why is it like really kind of taken prevalence the last few years? That's a great question. And it's it's it boils down to the fact of you buying the property at a steep discount because it needs work, right? Mm-hmm. So the value add there is not only the increase in equitable value, but also the increase in rental income. For instance, uh, there is a property here in Tampa that we financed a Burr strategy on. And we can talk about the exit strategy because the end exit strategy, your end strategy for how you're going to rent it or what type of rents you're going to be collecting will determine the type of renovation that you do. So you need to have your end strategy in mind when you're looking for your property. This individual was going to buy a property in downtown Tampa And then they renovate it and they were going to hold it for an Airbnb. So their approach to the level of finishes, the strategy, what they were aiming for, and really the the target market of who they were renting to uh, is different than if you're going to place a 30-year tenant. We can dive into that later. But what they did is they were able to buy the property off market, meaning it was not listed with a on the MLS and it was not listed or hosted with a real estate agent. So they directly negotiated with the homeowner. They were able to purchase the property at about, I, I want to say if my memory serves me correctly, they purchased it at about 52% of the as-is value. 
So they okay. purchased it at 52% of the as-is value. They added about, I want to say, $60,000, $65,000 of work. That ended up being approximately right at 18% of the ARV, which is some numbers and metrics that uh, your your students, uh, your RE platform users are going to want to understand, especially those metrics and how to fit that into their calculations. And so what they were able to do is take a property that long-term rent in its current condition, which I don't even know if it could have actually could not have been rented. It was not livable. But let's assume that it was just barely good enough to rent. Yeah. For long term, they probably could have gotten rents at that time of maybe fifteen to sixteen hundred. It was a two bedroom, one bath with a couple of big rooms, which he ended up going in and, and splitting up. So fifteen hundred dollars. They went in, they took one of the big rooms, turned it into a suite. So they turned it into a master suite, added a bathroom. So now there's a two bath, two bathroom, three bedroom. One of those was a master bedroom. And then an outside unit, uh, which you call an AUM, an, an additional auxiliary dwelling auxil unit. Uh, yeah, auxiliary they, uh, something. That, that's actually a new term. I'd never yeah. heard of that the, the other day. And uh so our, yeah, anyway, so an AUM is basically a shed in the back. They turned it into a um uh, like a suite as well, a a uh, a one unit type thing where it had yeah. like a little bathroom and everything inside. So they were able to take this property, turn it into basically four bedrooms um, and then three bathrooms total. Um, and they were able to collect, and right now it's still listed on Airbnb. They're able to collect on average every month, they're getting between 3,500 to 4,300 a month. So- okay. Now that's the short term and everybody loves a short term, but it really depends on the location, your government code. Like there's a lot to dive into if you're going to do short term. And I think too many times people like buy a property thinking that it's going to be a short term. And it's really the government red tape that prevents that from, from being seen. So, you know, people need to do, investors need to do their research, to make sure that the strategy that they plan on doing is a viable strategy and it is the highest best use case strategy for their area. So that's yeah. the benefit of doing the burst strategy. You're able to buy a property by increase, by repairing it, uh, you're able to increase the equity and the rental income. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so how does the lending on this type of strategy work? Is there like a specific loan product that people can do or, or how do they get around like all this? Like I'm, I'm doing the flip, but I'm going to rent it out. And so yeah. I mean, more than just like the purchase costs, you yeah. know, like how does that all kind of work out? So um, I'm going to try to keep this short and concise as well as break it down. But your investors need to realize if they're not on the financing side, in the financing world, there are multiple tiers or what we call tranches of finance available for investors. So the most common and when your investors are looking to go get a loan for a property, whether they're looking to buy a property that's a rental, they're going to rent it out or they're buying a property for a fix and flip or any other, those are actually two different financial products being yeah. offered on the market. So private individuals like myself, we manage our own small little lending company. We're either hyper, uh, hyper uh, micro-focused, which is be like, I'm only lending in Tampa. We could be regionally focused, which is maybe the Southeast United States, or we could be nationally focused, which is all the United States. I will say this, if you're dealing with a regional or a national private lender, they're not a private lender. They're typically sourcing their funds from Wall Street. 
So there is Wall Street money that is available to the fix and flip crowd, short-term interest-only type loans. Gotcha. Now for the rental loans, so some people think that they need to uh, ask for, well, I'm, I'm doing a, a short-term rental loan or I'm doing a 30-year rental loan. The fact is those rental loans are going to be long-term, meaning they're longer than five years. They're long-term loans. So there's a lot of different products. There's a 10-year interest only. There's a 30-year fully amortized. There's a 20-year. There's a 15-year. The products are vast and varying, and they all have different pros and cons and, and different costs. So we're not going to dive into that here. But the end of the game is those long-term, five years or longer, those long-term loans are packaged up. So when a lender originates or creates that loan to your investor, they've also created and originated several other loans during that month, that week, that quarter. And what they're doing is they're packaging those up. We call them a tape. And we're selling that tape or that list of loans to Wall Street. And so what you're basically creating a MBS, a mortgage-backed security, right? This is security we're selling on Wall Street, and it's securitized by all these different loans, 30-year or whatever products are available, and then selling that as a package. Why that is so important is because the appetite for Wall Street or any of these institutional lenders, sometimes it's not necessarily Wall Street. Sometimes there are these big hedge funds or uh, big financing firms, and people invest in these financing firms by investing in stocks, and these financing firms' stocks through Wall Street, uh, through NASDAQ. That's why I still call it Wall Street, because they're sourcing, those financial firms are yeah. still sourcing their money from people investing in Wall Street. And so whether it's actually a Wall Street hedge fund or whether it's just a private hedge fund that is looking to deploy capital in 30-year, the underwriting criteria for those 30-year loan products or long-term, let's just say long-term, five years or, or more, those long-term loan products, there is a different underwriting criteria for them altogether compared to the short-term. So going back to the original question, is there a is there a loan product, meaning singular, for this? There is not. And okay. because your acquisition and your renovation or your construction costs, that is actually a completely different loan product yeah. compared to the long-term, which five years or more, they're going to hold it for the long-term. So you've actually got two different loan products that have completely different underwriting, completely different metrics as far as what the investors are looking at. So you can't, they're impossible to marry. They're completely separate. The only caveat to that is if you go through a bank. So if you're going through a bank, which have the capability, and that's why, you know, building like you did, Chris, building a relationship with a local, regional, or even a hyper-focus, like a, it's a bank that's only for that city, is extremely valuable because you have access uh, to bankers. And we can dive into how banks raise their money. But at the end of the day, it's they're using their local community money and they want to redeploy that money in the local community. So building a relationship with a local banker, uh, not a Chase or a Bank of America or Wells Fargo. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about hyper-focused regional banks. Uh, that's really key. And I, honestly, the smaller the bank, the better your ability to build a long-term relationship with them. So yeah. um, that would be the exception to the rule. But the general rule is, which is what most people are being advertised and what, what type of loan products they're coming across, the two different loan products. So at the end of the day, you're going to have to get a loan for the purchase and acquisition, especially on the burst strategy, the, the, excuse me, the acquisition and the renovation. And then you're going to have to refinance that into a 30-year or a long-term loan strategy, right? And my my opinion is the longer the loan strategy, the better it is for the investor because it locks in that rate. Now, hopefully, it's a fixed-rate loan. You should be aiming for fixed-rate loans. Yep. You can lock in that rate. And then, obviously, 
the way the market's going now, those rates are going to continue to increase. We're even looking at a fourth quarter of uh, Fed rate increase by three quarters of a point. So, I mean, if we're yeah. if you believe the hype and we're not in a recession yet, we definitely will be in a recession come Q1 of 2023, maybe Q2 of 2023. Um, it's going to happen. And so investors need to be aware that for the next couple of years and maybe even longer, uh, we probably will not see rates back down at these rates that they are now. Um, how far they could go up, we don't know. I will say this, investor rates are going to go up. So if you can lock in your rates, especially those long-term rates <clears throat> with an investor now, that's going to be your best bet. Yeah, for sure. Um, that, that, that's some good knowledge there. So I've heard of people doing a cash out refi to this 80% LTV. Uh, for those that don't know, LTV is loan to value. Um after attending this place. So part of the strategy and the, the buy, the rehab, the rent out, and then that refinance period, they'll refinance out to the 80% loan to value um, and, and do what is called the cash out refi. Yep. And what they're they're trying to do is do the strategy where they're capturing the profit of a flip instead of selling it, they're still owning it, but they're trying to cash out more than what they put into it to get a, a flip payout, payday type of scenario with that cash out refi. And then, um, so, so with that strategy, would you kind of recommend this strategy or is this like a negative point to the strategy overall when, when I'm like, hey, Mr. Linder, I'm looking to do this at the end of it. If I have, if I'm only at like 75%, you know, loan to value, I want to cash out refi to 80%, pull out that 5% cash. And that's just a paycheck for me mm -hmm. as though I had done a flip. Like, what are your thoughts as the lender on doing that part of the strategy? Oh, let's see. <laughs> so I, I, and that's not a laugh, like, oh, that's a ridiculous process. No, it's, <laughs> it's one that has worked has meaning past tense yeah. for several years, the market is changing. And so speaking specifically, and we're not going to dive in unless you want to, we're not going to dive into timeframes. We're not going to dive into interest rates, nothing else. We're simply talking about loan to values. So one of the, there are several levers that a lender has to mitigate risk and control risk. As a lender, my entire, when I'm looking at a loan at a loan opportunity and the borrower is bringing a project and they say, this is the property, this is what we're going to do, this is what our exit strategy is. I personally am not pulling credit. I don't care about taxes. I don't care about proof of income. I am truly an asset-based lender, underwriter. Like I'm looking at the property and the plan for that property. This exit strategy is extremely important because I want to know at the end of the day. So there's two, uh, let's take a side divergent for a lender, for a, a investor into paper that secured a property. There are two types of returns and most real estate investors are focused on the ROI, the return on investment. We all have heard that acronym. However, there's another ROI. Uh, and I've broken it down into two, uh, it's it's using the same type of acronym, but it's adding an extra letter in there. There's a RANI and a RAFI. Okay. A RANI is return on investment. A RAFI is a return of investment. Yeah. Lenders are more concerned about the return of investment rather than the return on investment. A lender, if they're confident that they're going to get the return of investment, meaning their original principal, what they loaned, the 
and that the risk to them not getting that is significantly reduced, then therefore the ROI follows suit, right? Lower the risk, the lower the return, because you're going to, there's a higher chance you're going to get your money back. Real estate investors are only focused on the return on investment. They want to put as little money as possible and get the highest return on that money. That's great. We call that cash on cash return. Like that should be a very focused uh, a percentage that real estate investors are focused on. How much cash can I put into a project and earn a return on that money that I put in the project? <clears throat> yeah. Now, for the uh, for the uh, Burr eighty percent loan to value, the problem is that lenders are starting to look at the return of investment. How am I getting my investment back? And with the market changing the way it is here in late two thousand and twenty two, going into twenty three. Uh, that return of investment is looking less uh, secure and less secure uh, rather than just two years ago. Yeah. So what we had on on Wall Street, when Wall Street stepped in, so let's back it up, uh, let's say 10 years, um, when Brandon from uh, Bigger Pockets and the Bigger Pockets community started to really push this concept of Burr. I mean, they've been doing this for years. Oh, Real yeah, estate investors yeah. that have been in the in game for decades already knew this. It just wasn't an acronym, right? So hit new world. We got to put an acronym on something. So Brandon and the Bigger Pockets team labeled the Burr strategy. <clears throat> when they did that, what you had Wall Street coming in and saying, wow, you know what? We've been lending because Wall Street makes like at the end of the day, banks are getting their money from Wall Street to make these uh, these residential owner occupied 30 year loans. You know, when you go to a bank and you get a 30 year, 40 year loan product to buy a property and you're going to live in it, that's called an owner occupied loan. And those are being packaged up and sold on Wall Street. If you ever watch the big short, great movie, entertaining, but it's also got a lot of educational content. So I would encourage if anybody's not watched the big yeah. short, Steve Carell, it's a great movie, but it's got a lot of educational content into a very surface level, but it gives you a peek behind the curtain on what's going on in the banking world. So you had Wall Street step in and start saying, wow, well, we've been lending to homeowners, but through the 08 crisis, that wasn't exactly a sure thing. But man, these investors, they're buying these properties, they're placing tenants. It's almost like that's more secure as far as guaranteeing a return than yeah. doing homeowner occupied loans, right? So you had Wall Street step in and start providing money and they were willing to Hey man, the economy's on a roar. We're coming back from 2008. I everything is awesome, and so they were willing to go up to 80% loan to value. So what you had is Burr strategists. They were buying a property. They were putting some renovation into it, and let's just use round percentages. And I always uh, a private lender is always going to deal with percentages. So if you're real estate investors ever talk to a private lender and they're talking about dollars and yet the lender is talking about percentages, just know that the real estate investor to really make a connection, especially with somebody like me, that's a private guy. I want to know about percentages. How are you yeah. looking at this as a percentage, right? Because those, those percentages are never, I mean, the, well, the percentages can change, but if you're focused on the percentage, you have a lot more room for error than if you're focused on a dollar amount. So anyway, um, you had, these lenders that were coming in, they're saying, okay, this this borrower, uh, they bought the property 50% of as is value, or let's say 50% of ARV. They put you know 20% of the ARV into the project. So now they've got a total of a 70% of the after repair value loan, right? Yeah. So you've got a 70% loan after repair value. And then the investor was able to go to a 30-year a real estate investment lender, a DSCR lenders, typically what the term is called, 
and because they're focused on the cash flow. And so they go to a DSCR lender and say, hey, listen, I can rent, I'm renting this property out right now for $2,000 uh, with your loan, taxes, insurance, my debt service coverage ratio, that's what DSCR stands for, you know, is at a 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 or higher. And so the lenders were like, okay, well, we will provide you 80% of the ARV. So now the investor, like you mentioned, was able to pull out 80% of ARV. They pay back their first position lender that loaned them the 70% of ARV to get them to that value. And then they walk away with 10% of the ARV in cash. So yeah. they were walking away with the profit as well as they still had title to the property. They were renting it out and cash flowing it. So that's the ideal, stra uh, ideal method for Burt. What's changed? What's changed is the underwriting guidelines for your long-term lenders have, have reduced. They've become more restrictive. So instead of going to 80%, they're scaling back. We, we're starting to see 75%. And I would I would propose that in the next quarter by Q1 of 23, definitely by Q2 of 23, either the DSCR loan product is going to completely go away or wow. it's going to become so restrictive that you're, you're going to have an investor taking the scenario they've got a 70% loan of what the ARV was today. Uh -huh. Six months later, when they go to refinance, we're now in a Q2 of 23. They go to refinance and where they thought the property would be valued, right? The value of the property, yeah. it's now 10% less, maybe 15% less. So where they thought they had 30% of equity, now they've only got 10 or 15% equity. Yeah. And the bank's going to say, okay, your ARV was here, or so you thought, now it's here. We're only going to lend you 70% of that. What's going to happen for investors that are not hyper-focused on getting properties below 50%? Um, they, if you're not buying a property right now and your strategy is not, if your strategy is to hold it for a rental and your plan is to refinance, you need to be buying properties in the in, going into Q4 and Q1 of 2022, 2023. You need to be buying them no more than 50% of what the proposed ARV is. If yeah. you are, you will not be able to do a refinance. Well, you will be able to. And I just had a, a very hard conversation with a real estate investor and his partner uh, yesterday. Uh, they want to do this strategy. And so we were talking through the scenarios and I was pointing out, guys, you know, I'm happy to walk through this with you, but I want to let you know the risk up front. Right now, the risk up front is you're going to pay for my loan. You're going to get the property performing. Um, I'm going to do my loan based on where I think the market is going to be in six months as far as ARV. What does that mean for, for your real estate investors? You're probably going to start seeing lenders say, okay, if your ARV is 300,000 uh, ARV today, like that's what we're like today, if you bought the property, what would the ARV be with 300,000? Okay. But what is it going to be in six months based on the market? Where are we seeing? We're going to go ahead and do a 10% discount. Yeah. So they're going to knock $30,000 off that ARV. So now they're going to say, well, your ARV is projected to be at 270. And I will propose that lenders are even going to start dropping that by 15% or even 20%. Wow. So you've got a, a trifecta of events that are happening right now for the Burr strategy to almost become in its core, meaning what yeah. you discussed, where somebody goes in and they're able to cash out all their hard earnings and take a profit and still keep the property. That's, I will say, I will say confidently that by the end of this quarter going into Q1, that'll be non-existent. What's going to happen is you might be able to do a rate and term refinance, meaning let's say you went into the property today, you had a 70% of ARV. 
when you refinance, you're going to be able to refinance that exact amount at the most. So let's say in this property, you've got a $225,000 loan. You're going to be able to get maybe a $225,000 loan for 30 years. Yeah. What's more likely to happen is the bank is going to maybe offer you 215, 210, 200,000. So what that means is all the money that you put into the property to acquire the property, that money is now locked into that property. You're not going to free it up. And on top of that, for you to get the refinance, you're going to have to have an additional 10 to 15% of the ARV just to put into the property, yeah, just to do the refinance. Yeah. And what that's going to do is for those investors that are not meticulously uh, attending to their purchase prices. We all know this, Chris, and you know this better than anybody. You make your money when you buy, but you realize your profits when you sell or yes. refinance in this case. So if they're not being meticulously anal, excuse the French, but if they're not, I mean, really focusing on, I need these properties when I buy, I need it at a steal. Yeah. Then they're going to be up crap Creek without a paddle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are you tired of switching between multiple platforms to manage your real estate investments? Say goodbye to the hassle and hello to Ari. Our end-to-end -end real estate investment platform streamlines the investment process, providing everything you need to save time, make money, and achieve financial freedom. From property sourcing to financing, our platform offers a one-stop shop for all your investment needs. With our bookkeeping features, you can accurately track your transactions, generate P&L statements for tax reporting, and stay on top of your investments with ease. Plus, our scalable SOPs help you maintain consistency and quality across all your investments, maximizing their value and profitability. Invest with confidence, invest with Ari. Visit our website today to get started for free at www.ari.io. That's a r e ii.io yeah no i i agree like but that's crazy that we're looking at potentially 20 percent. now this is kind of strategy for regional strategy do you think that 15 to 20 percent is like florida like could we see other regions of the country with an even steeper discount uh you know as far as like people looking at those dscr loans being like no nah, we might california Maybe they're seeing like a 30% discount. What are your thoughts in like different areas? I know you're, you're pretty happy. I, I, I can't speak Florida. intelligently to other states and in other markets. I will say this though, that uh, my outlook, I try to be conservative. My outlook on Florida is probably a little bit better than what I'm saying here, but yeah. I want to be conservative, ultra yeah. conservative, especially going into where we're going at. Yeah. But I will say that for other markets, I can't speak intelligently to them, but based on what the rumblings that we're hearing, uh, that's why I say like the DSCR loan product might very well go away because yeah, almost yeah. unequivocally, there's about five or six lenders or investors that are funding all of these DSCR loan products and they're national. Wow. The minute that you have entire markets, meaning an entire state's market collapse and, and just not be able to perform in and the, the lender is saying, hey, these are our new requirements. And the investors in California, in Nevada, in Oregon, in, I mean, you name the place, New York, uh, these investors that have properties and like, well, our, our property doesn't meet your requirements now. And the lender is going to say, well, then we can't do the loan. And so you've got massive markets that are pretty much have been the bulk work of, of the support for the DSCR loan product. When they go away, the DSCR loan products are like, well, we can't survive. We've got thousands of employees start cutting jobs. And now that's still not making money. They're losing money. So they're just going to close up shop. And, and so that's why I, I think, in my opinion, 
and, and it's very un- uneducated. Uh, I am not a economist at all. I'm just looking at the local market, yeah. but keeping my eye on the national, I feel that the DSER loan product will actually vanish. And wow. the only way that the real estate investors will be able to get a 30 year loan is by going to a bank. And you know, this yeah. a bank does not do 20% to an investor. Uh, as far as equity, like they're not going to do an 80% loan. They're going to yeah. do at most 70%, maybe yeah. 75, but definitely it's going to be less than 80. And, so and they got some other requirements that they need. So like they are very heavy relationship, like reliant, like you got to have a good relationship with that bank and that banker that you're going into, which is like a whole other form of like, it's social capital, you know, like that's something you can't even like measure is having that relationship with that bank to even like qualify for those well, so, those so again, I you know the the relationship is important, but at the end of the day, the bank is going to be looking at taxes. They're going to yeah, be looking yeah. at your in, uh, proof of income, and they're going to be looking at uh, the. I mean, obviously the property values, but your your you know, track record. That's that's been the biggest proponent of growth for the long-term loan product is because real estate investors, especially full-time real estate investors, they don't have proof of income. Yeah. Matter of fact, they're probably trying to write off all expenses so that they can reduce their tax bracket so that they can not pay taxes, right? Which is a great strategy if you're self-employed and you have access to these 30-year loan products from other investors rather than banks. But when those investors go away and you've got to go to a bank and the bank's like, where's your proof of income? Well, I'm I'm self-employed. Sorry. They don't count. (laughs) Don't count. And and that's going to be a shock to a lot of people that are going to say, well, I'm just going to fall back. I'll get a loan from a bank. Like a bank's going to look, they're more concerned. There's other things they're looking at besides your credit score. That's awesome. You have a 780 credit score. But if you have an annual income of $20,000 reported on your taxes, bank's not going to give you a loan regardless of the proof of your equity or your proof of uh, uh, rental income. They're just not. Why? Because the bank has to justify. They have to meet the regulators and their auditors. Hey, when the bank was created, they have what they call bylaws. Banks are corporations, right? So a bank has a bylaw of how they are going to manage their banking institution. And in those bylaws, it says, when we make a loan, these are what we're checking. So the relationship matters, right? Because that personal relationship with somebody, they can they can finagle the flexible, the gray areas of that. But at the end of the day, the bank has to meet the bylaw requirements to be yeah. able to make the loan because they're selling it to Wall Street. And Wall Street says, they look at the bank's bylaws and they say, okay, this is these are the requirements you're requiring to make a loan that fits our guidelines. So any of the loans that you make will buy. This is what happened in 2008. Wall Street didn't care what the banks were doing and banks weren't adhering to their underwriting guidelines. Banks were like, well, our bylaws say that we're only going to make 90%, 99%, 100% loan of values. But Wall Street was like, oh, you got another loan to sell? We'll buy it. We'll buy it. They weren't even looking at the paper. They were just like, oh, you've got paper? Okay, we'll buy it. And they were just yeah. racking them, stacking them. And the banks were like, well, we can start doing 105%. And then they started doing 110, then 120. And they realized that Wall Street just did not care. And so the banks were like, free money for everybody. And that's why you have, if you watch the big uh, big short, you've got people that were in, that had careers that should not have been able to get a property at all, buying multiple properties. The banks were just throwing money because they knew Wall Street would buy them. That's all gone away. So Wall Street is looking at the banks and saying, what are your guidelines? Okay, are your loans meeting this? And then the Wall Street will have their auditors look at the paper, meaning the notes, the loans, 
and they're auditing those banks. And if the bank makes a bad loan that does not adhere to their bylaws that they created, they will no longer get money from Wall Street. So there goes an entire income stream from the bank. So I say all of that to let your investors know you all have to, have to, have to be absolutely adamant you are getting properties at a deal. And that goes to say, and I want to bring this full circle, if your investors are looking for properties on the MLS, the likelihood that they're going to find a property on the MLS is next to nil. Now, they do exist. I'm not saying that deals don't yeah. exist because they do. If you've got an on-top real estate agent and they know when a deal is coming on the market, they can try to negotiate and get that deal under contract the day, the minute that it hits the, the market. But here's the fact. If you've got a property that your real estate investor thinks is a deal and it's been on the market for 30 days, now this is going to change as well, right? The longer that we're on, the more deals that you're going to see sitting on the market, right? Yeah. But historically speaking, meaning in the past couple of years, if a property has been on the market for 30 days and it's a deal, there's a reason it's still on the market. That means the savvy, smart investors that are sticking to their numbers, there's something that they see in that property that they don't want to touch. And yeah. so you've you've seen a lot of real estate investors, new real estate investors get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of like kind of the criteria changing, typically when we looked at those DSCR products, while they still exist, and in the past, we've seen that banks and most people need to see a 1.25 DSCR. Um, for those of you, this it's just a ratio that states that after your NOI, uh, your NOI is 1.25 times higher than your mortgage. Uh, so you make a little bit more than what it costs to uh, cover that mortgage is basically what that's measuring. Do you think like in addition to lowering that uh, ARV to, uh, to LTV to ARV, um, the DSCR. Do you is think they'll increase. increase that DSCR ratio as well to maybe like 1.3, so, 3.5? I think that's a great question. Now, the so that's like, so just uh, let your uh, real estate investors think of it this way. Your DSCR is a measure of risk, right? Yeah. So the lower the DSCR, let's say a 1x DSCR means that you're, bre you're breaking even. Your, your taxes, insurance, and your mortgage are $1,000 a month and you're collecting $1,000 a month in rent. Now that's a, a one, a one times DSCR. That's bad for the real estate investor because yeah. you're just constantly going to be out of money, especially if you, if you have a management company. There were, one year ago, there were loan products that were offering, <laughs> they were all, they were offering a 30 year fixed rate loan uh, at 0.9. Oh X. gosh. Yes. So they were willing to loan on a property where the real estate investor was actually losing 10% of their monthly income just to pay taxes, insurance, and their mortgage. It's nuts. I like crazy. What you're going to see is not necessarily the maximum. Uh, what you're going to start seeing is that minimum creep up. And that's already creeped up. So now the minimum is 1.1. 1 .1. Uh, we're going to probably see that creep up to 1.25. Uh, and it's it's not going to be like 1.1 to 1.25, like you see the Fed rate increase. This is going to be a slow incremental as as the rules, as the uh, Wall Street market starts to see the risk, more and more exposure to risk, they're going to start adjusting these little levers. Okay, well, we want a higher credit score. Well, we want a, a lower, you know, maybe they're going to start looking at debt to income. Well, we actually are going to start looking at debt to income and we want a lower debt to income. Uh, they're going to start adjusting all these levers that they have to reduce the risk. And one of those levers will be the minimum DSCR is going to start creeping up. Yeah. I don't imagine... Uh, that it will be higher than 1.25. But again, 
Uh, I'm not a banker. I'm not an economist. I'm not yeah. one of those gurus sitting up there at Wall Street running a crazy calculations. So who knows? Um, again, like I said, my belief is before the DSCR loan product gets so crazy, they're just going to cut it off because it's just it's not going to work. Uh, yeah. The DSCR loan product. Interesting. And then so a, a few questions back. You had mentioned that uh, you were working with a investor here recently that they were wanting to do the burst strategy, but turn it into an Airbnb and not mm -hmm. a long-term rental. So is that actually like a strategy that is widely accepted now? I've actually never like really looked at it. I didn't know if like that's something that lenders will look at. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more of how that kind of works? Um, turning it yeah. into a, uh, those, those vacation rental homes instead yeah. of the traditional long-term rental where we're looking at like, once I get a renter in here for, you know, a 12 month lease, then I can refinance. Yeah. What's the, what, what are they waiting for to, for that refinance portion with an Airbnb? So I have to be honest, that's actually quite a new product, which is interesting because Airbnb has been around since what, uh, 2009, 2010, yeah. I guess. Um, but as far as uh, a loan product that is specifically geared towards a real estate investor whose intent and purpose is short-term rental. That's actually a very new product. And it's unfortunate because we're now hitting this economy where that's probably going to be the product that disappears first. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, there are DSCR lenders that are willing to do a loan for a, a Airbnb, uh, but the underwriting guidelines have dramatically changed and shifted within the last year. So it used to be that they would look at, okay, what is the proof of income uh, from like an Airbnb website? Uh, there's a there's an analysis website called AirDNA. So they would actually take AirDNA's uh, an analysis of that property and what its projected income would be based on a vacancy rate and a bunch of other factors. And so the DSCR lender would make the loan based on the actual income that that property was projected to make less a 20% discount. So, you know, if the property was projected to make $3,000, they would take 20% off of that and say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to assume it's making $2,600, even a $2,600 uh, per month property. I mean, your, your DSCR was over three times. Like oh, it yeah. was crazy. Right. So for Airbnb, like, the potential to meet those DSCR loan products are fantastic. Here's the risk. is It is a very fickle market. And at the slightest thing, the Airbnb, the vacation rental will disappear like that. And so here, here's some of the, the, the instances where that can be affected. Government regulation and oversight. I live right here in Tampa, Florida. Right across the bay, we've got St. Pete and Clearwater. St. Pete and Clearwater, because they have such a vast... Uh, vacation uh, community and vacation economy, they completely have outlawed Airbnb short-term rentals, except for specific zones in the city uh, that allow that. And you have to you have to submit a request. You have to get approved. You then have to pay a specific tax to have Airbnb, which are when it's all being considered, it's still going to be worth your time. But it's going to take it's going to be worth your dollar investment. But it's still going to take a lot of time which is, that's the big key, right? So you need to, if your plan is to do an Airbnb and you're doing it in an Airbnb where the, the local government has their claws just in everything, 
then know that the minute that you buy the property and start your renovation to then do the Airbnb, that should be the time that you're submitting all your paperwork to the city, getting approval, getting your taxes, all everything that needs to be lined up so that you can do it legally. Too many times the Airbnb crowd has been like, ah, screw that, it's the government. We're not going to dive into the political aspect of big government, little government, but I will say that I can sympathize with them. However, the law is the law. You have to obey the law. Pay your taxes, do the right filings, because at the end of the day, you'll be more successful than those that are not doing it. And at case in point, there is a gentleman here in uh, St. Pete, fined $30,000. He had the Airbnb less than a year, fined $30,000 for every night that he had it listed because it was outside of a specific Airbnb zone. 30 grand like, every 30 night? 30 grand every, well, I say every night, every time it was rented out, it was rented leased out. out. So every time oh, he got a renting gosh. or a leasing on Airbnb, they they were, they nailed him for $30,000 fine. Like the dude declared bankruptcy. Oh my of gosh, course. yeah. But you know what? They have very clear, if you're going to do an Airbnb or short-term rental in Clearwater or St. Pete, and this goes all across the country, like there's areas, and or they'll just say, you can't do it. Yeah. We're not allowing it. Well, guess what, guys? Then don't do an Airbnb. But here's the thing. The governments can change the laws like that. You get a different governor, different mayor, different whoever city council. They'll go in and say, you know what? We see the value in this. We want to open it up to Airbnb. So they'll change the laws. Guess what? The next cycle comes in, new uh, new politicians. They'll say, oh, no, this is damaging the local economy. We're going to shut it off. So that's the big risk. The other risk is, for instance, we just had Hurricane Ian come through. Like Fort Myers, Sarasota, Naples, like that whole West Coast of Florida from Tampa South, like that's a great vacation spot. We've just ended the summer. You know, people are coming here for the final. That place is completely obliterated. You're not going to get short terminals down there for months, if not years. I mean, you yeah. look at Mexico Beach where uh, Hurricane Michael hit. Mexico Beach is still just a vacant wasteland and it's been years. So yeah. that those are the two primary risks where lenders, especially in the state of Florida and uh, the south coast of Texas and Louisiana, obviously anything that's hurricane prone, it's just these products are going to be harder and harder to come by. And again, the underwriting is going to become more restrictive. So if the exit strategy is for Airbnb, my first thing is run your numbers and make sure that you can qualify now today for the refinance on the Airbnb and that the product even exists because in three, six months, that product may not even exist, even if you do qualify today. So do your yeah. best to make sure that the numbers meet the standard today. Wow. That's, that's, that's insane. But um, I think that's just about it for today. Um, any, any final thoughts on burst strategy? Um, I, I, I know I've beat a dead horse, but I'm going to beat him one more time. Uh, make sure your real estate investors are analyzing and getting a deal when they buy. If yeah. you are caught up in the, uh, you're competing with everybody and you're seeing this property and you're, you're emotionally attached to that property and you see everybody bidding on it and you, man, it's just going up. I've got to get this property. Don't. There are hundreds of millions of properties throughout the United States. You can find a deal. Yeah. It, be patient, continue to beat the streets, you know, put your, put your networking and your marketing cap on and get out there and find a deal. Don't settle for something that's barely skating by. Cause I'm telling you in a couple of months, that deal that barely squeezed out is not going to meet the standard in a couple of months. Yeah. I was looking literally yesterday, I went and looked at a potential bird property and they wanted to sell for 240 
They had purchased it a year ago for 98,000, put a $20,000 roof on it. And they're trying to sell for two forty. And I'm like, this place That's needs another $150,000 in work. Like, it was crazy. still unlivable. They just done the roof. Yeah. So like the, when you see situations where you're like, this just doesn't work out. Don't try to force the numbers. Exactly. I agree. Yes. Yeah. Just don't. It, believe me, what you'll 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 spend your time and energy better by going out and finding a new deal than trying to negotiate and spin spin the wheels and spin the wheels. And at the end of the yeah. day, you may get barely a little bit of a deal, but it's not going to work in the long run. No, and and when you usually when those when you get those properties where you force them to work for some reason, they also take longer than a good deal. You're more stressed about it, and so like it's when you take into all those time considerations and emotional wear and tear on your body, like it's not worth yeah. it, yeah. in my opinion, for five grand. But um, <laughs> thanks for everyone for tuning in, and we will see you all next time on the next. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Investor Podcast. If you are a real estate investor, we want to connect with you. Like our favorite quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. We believe we can learn something from everyone, so even if you are just starting out on your real estate investing journey, head over to the link in the description to connect with us, and we would love to hop on a call with you. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on the socials at Top Investor Pod. While you're at it, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review so we can help more people become top investors. Until next time, this is Chris Marshall signing off. Go out and become a top investor. See you around.